there, everybody. You're listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And we made it to the end of the year. Somehow. Oh my gosh, we're in the last month of 2020. Uh. <laughs> and we have nothing to go with the theme of that. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, not really. No, no. Like it, it would be a stretch. <laughs> it'd be a big stretch. So this time we're taking a look at actually one of the things that was on the original docket. Like when I very first compiled the list of what I already owned for us to start doing this show. And I think I actually read it like four years ago or something when like we first started seeing each other or something you had me read it and then i forgot most of it because i'm really good at that well there's a lot that goes on in this thing so what we're going to be taking a look at folks is girl genius by phil and kaja foglio ah it saying foglio right after kaja it's tough to get my tongue around that um but anyways, this is a webcomic. So actually, if you want to check it out and don't mind reading it on your computer screen, you can actually read this thing yourself for free by going to the Girl Genius website. What we have is we have the Omnibus Edition Volume 1, which is uh, which collects the first three volumes of uh, this story. Now, it is worth noting that though the... Um, the webcomic is in color. Mm -hmm. The volume we read is not, presumably to save on printing costs. So, um, boy, okay. There is a lot to deal with in this. I'm so glad I made you take down the names this time around. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of names. Okay, so there's this... also a little... There's some names up front, too. Yeah, but you know what the funny thing is? It doesn't cover a number of characters that it are kind of important. Yeah. And, like, she doesn't matter that much. Yeah, she kind of comes in at the end. Yep. But anyways, um, so before I even get to the characters, let me try and explain this world a little bit. Probably a good call. So it's a bit... It's a bit electropunk, steampunk kind of vibe I was gonna to say, it. This is our, I think, first time we've really done steampunk. Yeah, and that is sort of the general vibe. So you have this sense of Victorian, you know, turn of the 20th century sort of general feel to the place. Mm -hmm. But there is some what would be considered high-end technology. It just runs on diesel and steam and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um it is set in Europe, uh, and and there's sort of there's a there's a huge chunk of backstory that we get bits of. Mm -hmm. So at some point previously, there was a a fam. Well, specifically, it was the men of the family apparently, but the the heterodyne family mm -hmm. were basically the. Uh, and this is all backstory. That like we haven't even gotten. Oh boy. Okay. So the. <laughs> The thing with the heterodynes was that they were basically the best at what they did. And they were what are called sparks, which are people who have basically a gift for invention. They go into almost kind of a bit of a trance. And when they come out of it, they have built miraculous machines. Mm -hmm. And they were the best at it. They were good people. They went on rollicking adventures. And eventually something happened where they disappeared. And things kind of fell apart after that. So at this point, pretty much uh, the known world is ruled over by 
Baron Klaus von Wolfenbach, who um, flies around in his castle. It's not a flying castle. It's a blimp, but it's referred to as Castle Wolfenbach. Mm-hmm. And basically just smacks down anyone who is doing stuff but not telling him. That's pretty much how he operates. So anyone who has the spark is supposed to be registered, is supposed to be known, is supposed to be monitored. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily forced to work for the Baron directly, but he dang well expects to know about anybody and everybody. So we open, we actually start the story... <laughs> <laughs> with the character of Agatha Clay, who is a not especially talented student in Paris. Um, now, there are a couple of terms I should probably explain. There are several forms of artificial life in this world. There's clanks, which are purely mechanical. Mm-hmm. And then there's the constructs, which are closer to people, but they are artificially created beings and there's a number of them in this the the main ones we see are what are referred to as the jaeger monsters mm-hmm. which is basically an army of stupids overstating it but slightly dim-witted slightly violent um jagged and jagged jagged, jagged like, teeth kinda. people who used to serve the heterodyne family and now serve the baron mm-hmm. so Anyways, there is, there is an event that happens that catches the Baron's attention. And he ends up showing up. And slightly before that, Agatha, just on her way to class, gets bumped into and has her locket stolen off of her. That's a locket she's had her whole life. And so she's like, she's bummed out and she's annoyed, but she's got to get to class and all this other stuff. Well, things go crazy pretty quick because the Baron shows up and her professor... Basically tries to assassinate him. There, there's a bit more to it than that. That ends up, but that's the gist of it. Like I'm gonna have to skip. Like, this is three volumes in one, folks. I'm gonna skim a little bit here. Yeah, that's fair. I'm enjoying you doing this instead of me trying to like go through it all. So you just keep going, baby. I will. So Agatha, very just confused as to what has gone on, on goes home. She is adopted. Uh, So she goes home to her adopted parents and she ends up being found and confronted by the brother of the guy who stole her locket. Now, his name's Moloch. Now, the reason he shows up instead of the guy who actually stole it from her is because that guy named Omar died shortly after stealing it. Mm -hmm. So Moloch shows up thinking that it was somehow deliberately poisoned to kill anyone who took it. Mm -hmm. And when he shows up, Agatha has basically in her sleep, started building very well-working clanks. Mm -hmm. So when one of those kind of runs amok a little bit and and shows up back at uh, where she lives, the Baron and the Baron's son, I forgot to mention him, Gilgamesh, or Mm -hmm. Gil. Gil, yeah. They show up looking for an unregistered spark. And... The uh, the Baron actually assumes that it's Moloch because he had seen Agatha at the university and seen how untalented she was. Mm-hmm. So he disregards her. They end up taking both Moloch and Agatha to the blimp anyways because this sounds creepy, but the explanation is less creepy than what it sounds like. The Jaegers think she smells good, so they want to take her. <laughs> the in-universe reason for that is they... 
kind of at a low level can sense that surprise for later on Agatha is actually a descendant of the the heterodyne boys and that's why they think she smells good mm-hmm. but yeah on paper basically some monsters just go she smells good <laughs> um <laughs> But, she also is taken, I think, too, because they she so whenever she goes into one of her dreamlike states and builds stuff, she ends up in her underwear. And so when they find her with von Zimmer or whatever his name is, with um, Moloch, yeah, with Moloch, he they assume that she's his lover. So. Oh yeah, that's right too. Because so they 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 think he's the new spark, and they want to keep him in line. In line, so it's so. like so bring his lover. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the blimp, which is where she wakes up, she there's oh god, there's a lot that goes on there's, here, and there's a lot of characters. There's a lot, and most of them I'm gonna skip. Mm-hmm. But she meets you know this sort of group of um, younger kids who are there who are looked over by the world's scariest freaking nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, Dominatrix Nanny. Yeah, Von Pin, I believe. Yep. And uh, who actually um, picks up Agatha at one point, and when Agatha yells at her to put her down, she does without wanting to, like immediately, instinctively. Again, another hint for the later reveal of Agatha being uh, heterodyne, because most of the really advanced constructs mm-hmm. were made by them. Mm-hmm. And so they inherently, intrinsically will obey commands from a heterodyne, which mm-hmm. she is but doesn't know mm-hmm. until towards the tail end of the book. Or the volume we have. Yes. So there is shenanigans on the blimp, and those sh- those shenanigans include... Dirigible shenanigans. Dirigible shenanigans. <laughs> Dirigible, sorry. I can never say that word. It's not a very common word. No, it's not. Dirigible shenanigans. So, shenanigans include the finding of a guy named Othar, who is... He's an idiot. Um, So, his whole thing is he thinks all sparks should die, even though he is one. So, like, eventually, in theory, after he kills everybody else, he'll kill himself. Yeah, but he's... He's but so he's that, but he's not like the grizzled sort of. uh, He's like he thinks he's Errol Flynn in terms of his attitude and trying to be this swashbuckling what ho villain. You can be my sidekick. Yeah, so that's (laughs) him. He's he's there, and the the Baron's actually torturing him, but uh, he ends up causing issues. Um, Agatha meets a talking cat. Uh, So that's Crosp. Who is also a construct, though, prefers to be referred to as Crosp the First Emperor of All Cats. Of, of course he does. He's a cat. <laughs> he doesn't think much of, like, real cats, though. No. No, he's he's an odd one. So we, I'm fond of him because, you know, he's he is essentially a cat and... Yeah. Yeah. When am I not fond of, like... The cat character. I, I was going to say, you've always liked the cat. Yes. So there's a bunch of more shenanigans on the blimp. And eventually resulting in... Blimp shenanigans. Blimp shenanigans. Um, eventually resulting in sort of a big problem with these uh, creatures. The, the slaver wasps that um, 
they have to try and deal with, which Agatha actually ends up kind of teaming up with Gil to help defeat a bit. He's kind of falling for her by this point. Oh, yes. And he makes that pretty clear. Yep. Um, after that wraps up, um, her adoptive, Agatha's adopted parents show up turns out they are also constructs i was gonna say i think they kind of established that they were constructs ahead of time though they hinted yeah they did not firmly is that but there are early hints like you see um that it's punch and judy is their names on punch when you see early on you see him reach for something and his sleeve goes up a little and there's stitching along his wrist mm-hmm. sort of indicating that he's cobbled together Mm-hmm. Um, but they show up, um, and they help Agatha escape. They don't manage to escape with her. Um, who ends up escaping with her is Othar and Cross, but she kicks Othar out of the smaller little airship very, very quickly. So it's just her and the cat as they head off. As it should be. As they head off for new adventures. A girl and her genius cat. <laughs> so that's the very, very much Cliff Notes version of uh, Girl Genius Omnibus Edition Volume 1. Huh, what'd you think? <laughs> I liked it. It was fun. Um, it was a fun romp. Um, Agatha... I got into her more as it went on. She's a little bit dramatic and yelly and kind of a mess at first when you first met it, meet her and like mm. over dramatic. Um, by the end, I kind of got used to her and liked her more. Um, the, you know, basically going into a trance, hallucinating and ending up in her underwear all the time was a bit much. Okay, so uh, maybe it's time to talk a little bit about some of the background for Fiddling Kajafoglio. Um Go for it, because you know, you looked into this and I have not. Well, see, I that's kind of how I got into this and I found it in the first place. I knew them because they both did illustrations for Magic the Gathering cards. And it it does not, the credits in this don't delineate who does what, and they're both artists. Mm-hmm. So I think they both do um, uh, some of the art and story. Phil gets the main art mm-hmm. credit, um, but Kaj is definitely in on uh, on the story. Mm-hmm. And the two of them have a lot of side projects, one of which um, is humor-tinged, but flat-out adult cartoons. Mm-hmm. So you do see... That bleed in a little bit with things like she keeps waking up in her underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's like there's over muscular, like all the men are over muscular and puffy chested, as my friend would call them. <laughs> it's it's a very exaggerated design style for the characters. Yes, um, and definitely she has. She's curvier, but she also kind of has, like, a little wasp waist, too, which kind of annoyed me. I'm like, no one actually looks like that. I, well, that I, I think... I I should have double-checked this, but I think I remember reading somewhere that she's actually physically and personality based off Kaja. Okay. I did... I was wondering that, but not many people have the wasp waist and the... And the... The curviness. I mean, she's not... 
she's, she doesn't have much of a belly, I guess is what I'm saying. Look, it's not witchblade levels of preposterous, but it is a little exaggerated. It's a little exaggerated. Yeah, no, fair. Fair. What did you think of any of the other characters, including feel free to bring up any that I didn't touch on? Because there's plenty of them. Um, I mean... Othar and Gil are a bit much in the, like, I'm going to rescue her. No, I'm going to rescue her. I mean, you say that, but one of my favorite moments was, is this bit where Othar is swinging, you know, with her in his arms. And he, at the instant he touches down, Gil swings by the other way and grabs her. So it's, I, I get what you're saying, but I love that moment so much. I did like the scrappy kids and the other characters. Um, like the one we figure out is her cousin, eventually Theo, and then Schlepfer, or whatever her name is. The other woman who has the goggles in her on her head. Yeah. Um, that is like her roommate. Um, I liked her. Um, Von Penn was fun. Von Penn, she's something else. Jeez. Um... Yeah, I I think it was a lot of fun. It was kind of silly. I mean, it's not something that will stick on in my mind as like great literature, but it was it was a fun romp. Mm. I do like Cross, the Emperor of All Cats, but how could you not? Of course. Um, Can I talk a little bit about the Baron? Yeah, you go for it. I yeah, I think you probably have stronger feelings on him than I do. So. The thing is, I actually kind of find him fascinating as a as an antagonist. I hesitate to say villain because of what we find out about why he operates the way he does. Mm-hmm. So he is he is a tyrant. He has yeah. a an iron grip on pretty much everything. But the thing is, he doesn't really want the job. He doesn't really want to be doing this. His validation for this is that when he he because he used to adventure with the her, the heterodyne boys mm-hmm. and after they disappeared and he tried to find them for a bit he came back and the world was tearing itself apart mm-hmm. basically without someone to look up to and sort of keep them in line which is what the heterodyne boys were all of the people who had the spark were just warring with each other for power and influence and control yeah and he knew that he could he could he could wrestle control of the Jaeger monsters and he had enough skill that he could basically get everybody else in line. Mm-hmm. And he kind of accepts the role of being as far as everyone else is concerned the bad guy because he knows if they're angry at me they're not fighting with each other. Mm. And I kind of I find the idea of somebody who very much willingly and understandingly accepts that they are the villain to most people and isn't thrilled about that. He doesn't revel in that, but he's like, this is, this is what it's gotta be. And I kind of find that interesting as a characterization that said, I don't want it to sound like, Oh, but he's actually a good guy. No, he like, he's not. <laughs> he would rather be in his lab, but the things he wants to do in his lab are not nice things. Mm-hmm. So like, he's not a good guy, but I do find that he, he basically stumbled into the role of a dictator and left to his own devices. He doesn't want it, but he kind of feels nobody else is going to be able to to keep everything else from falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I just I just find him interesting in terms of his his motivations and reasons for doing what he does. There, I hadn't thought about him at that level. 
but I do like the clanks and the Jaegers, the Jaeger monsters. Uh, the Jaeger monsters are used a lot for slapstick style comedy, which if there's one of them that definitely has a crush on Von Penn and is like, yeah, you can you can beat me up. Yeah, there there's definitely one of those. But that's also where, especially anyone who remembers uh, Phil and Kaja's work on Magic the Gathering, they tended to. It's funny when I was when I first got into that game, I didn't like their art because it was too goofy. Uh-huh. And I was, this is a serious game. And I'm a serious seventh grade boy who's playing Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yes, I remember you back then. Yeah, I know. Uh, you were so serious. So serious. serious. Super serious. Um, <laughs> but I, I have, I've come to appreciate what they did for the, you know, the more lighthearted art for some of the, uh, for some of the cards. But there was a lot of slapstick in those and they sort of, you can see the influence there on the Jaegers. There's like one point where they fire this giant gun and then, it, you know, it blows back and embeds one of them in a wall. And they're like, oh, there's a little bit of kickback. <laughs> I will say, though, with the, the like, accents they had and stuff, I had sometimes trouble reading it and being like, what the heck are they actually saying? Well, it's a it's a phonetic German accent is what they've got going I on. I know, but, but I'm yeah, just the, still. The Jaegers do have a phonetically written accent, which... Honestly, I don't know why it doesn't bother me here the way it normally does. I think it the reason it doesn't bother me here is because even though it is a real accent, quote unquote, they're not real people. And I think it bothers me a lot more seeing phonetic accents written out that I know are real accents that real human beings and this is supposedly a real character and it just takes me out of it. Mm. But when they're already something as ridiculous as the Jaegers, I'm like, sure, fine, mess with the mess with the way they talk. I think if if I could have like figured it out and deciphered it better, but sometimes I was like, I I just want to know what they're saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, other than that, I like them really well, and I like yeah, all the clanks are cute, and like all the little weird creatures running about the ship. Yeah, there's... the ship itself was cool. I was like, how big is this thing? It's huge. Uh-huh. It is. It is ridiculous. It was how very big that kind of. In that regard, it kind of reminds me of like a Miyazaki style creation of where how big is this thing? You a, know, like, a little bit. It's 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 not the art style so much. No. It's the concept of this this massive blimp or this massive moving castle or whatever this is that is like a world upon itself. The art style definitely not, but the the world that it's set in is a bit like Miyazaki soaked in chaos. I mean, sometimes Miyazaki is soaked in chaos anyways. So. Not quite to this level, I don't think. I suppose. It's not a slap. There's, there's, a, there's a zen to Miyazaki chaos. There, That's true. There ain't a there's, lot of zen to this. There's usually a little more like environmentalism or something going on and not so much with this. No, we're, we're too busy blowing things up. We don't have time for that. Um, but overall, I, I have always liked this and I've like... On the list of things, I'm like, when I have time, ha, 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 ha. Like, I've always kind of meant to get into the webcomic and see what else happened after this. Because I do think it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world is enjoyable. I agree that Agatha can take a little while to clue into her wavelength Mm -hmm. and get a handle on her. But she's, she's fun enough. And I find the characters interesting. Overall, I do enjoy it. It is, it is an odd piece of work. Yeah. 
When, in the and way, I think it helps too if you're kind of into the steampunk vibe and stuff like that, yeah. which I'm not necessarily. So, yeah, I I would agree that would definitely uh, that, that would definitely help. That would be more of a selling point, I think. Yeah, but it, it's odd in that way that really kind of only self created, self published works can be because in the hands of a of you know DC, a Marvel, or even an Image, this this would have been. This would have been re- gotten gritty. This would have been, been reshaped and, and toned down and decartoonified or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. so there we go, folks. Girl Genius. And uh, we'll take a quick break and then we will be back with listener feedback. Okay, so a new podcast needs a new promo. I mean, how do I start? I'm J. David Weeder. You may know me from the internet. I didn't invent the internet, but the internet was invented for me. No, that's way too egotistical. Uh, it's got to be awesome. It's got to catch everybody's attention. Also tell people what the show is about. So first things first, high energy pop music from the 80s. Hi, I'm J. David Weeder here to tell you about my new podcast, Spockward, a Star Trek podcast where I will talk about Star Trek twice a month. I guess, I guess that's pretty much it. Wow, it feels like there should be something more there, something grand and something epic. It also has to sum the show up, but I don't want to sound desperate. Maybe I should try another take, but this time there needs to be some epic epicness to it. Let's try this. In a world. Oops, oops, oops. Let me try that again. In a universe replete with Star Trek podcasts, one guy will challenge the status quo by boldly talking about Star Trek on the first and third Sunday of every month. Yeah, I probably had it right the first time. Spockword, a Star Trek podcast on the first and third Sunday of every month at spockword.com or wherever podcasts are accessed. It's Star Trek fandom with a heaping helping of social awkwardness. Spockword, you get it? Yeah, you get it. See you at spockword.com. Weeder out. Did I really just say weeder out? Come on. Hey, folks, we're back. Now, we've got comments on our previous episode where we talked about Almost American Girl. And uh, you want to take first, the first one? Yep. First up is Liz Ann Oswald. Impressive cut podcast. Most impressive. Hi, Liz and Nathaniel. Nathaniel, sorry to hear about or to hear the BBC use your voice, or at least the Doctor Who folks use your voice without mentioning your show. That's wrong. Um, so who was it again? That's it, it, it was actually uh, it was NPR. NPR. Um, BBC. I have had issue with them before, but that was not that they weren't the ones this time. Ah, yes. I have a, I've had a few ideas where I think the ideas got taken by big creators in comics, but can't prove it. And who knows, maybe we just both came up with the same idea. Sorry that they didn't put a, hey, we got this here, no, or something. Legal or not, it's kind of wrong. Moving on to the comic. I like the art. Looks a bit manga to me. Boy, spitting in a gal's hand, real charmers there. Yeah, in general, the whole spitting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel... I guess technically I've had some students do some spitting things, so it could happen, but I feel like it gets overused. It's kind of a go-to when it comes to depicting bullies. Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, the bullies I put up with were in the 80s, and yeah, it was a lot worse than that. Um, One time some guys threw at me, but I chased them off with a large stick, probably of rants. And some girls call me Quasimodo. Charming folks. Anyways, cool to see she found a comic book class. That wasn't there when I was a kid. We had art class, but not comic book classes. Yeah, fa- failing to find escapes can suck. I hear, 
I had that, but didn't escape to a comic store. Art classes and lifting weights. Her having blonde heroes is fine. Mine were She-Ra, Filmation, She-Hulk, Lady J. Rouge. I could go on. And then um, Liz talks a while about um, different dolls she had and um, a little bit back in, you know, bullying and things like that. Anyway, the story in this comic looks cool. Also, Sailor Moon rocks. I know more, I was more of a Sailor Moon fan, but still, Sabrina was fun. She was kind of always running from the bad guy till the last second. And definitely not built like an 80s Marvel or DC superhero. Built like a young gal. Heck, I like Colleen Wing as a kid and Jinx from G.I. Joe. So yeah, her heroes are fine. Little boys have He-Man, Captain, and Black Panther. No one looks like the heroes. At some point, you just gotta go, okay, cool. Let's live up to their ideals more than their look. Can't wait to hear the next podcast. Anyway, I still have my YouTube page. That's Lizanne Oswald. I, I have to say I do like that we're diversifying a little more um, and that we have, you know, that especially with Marvel recently. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, to a certain extent, I get her point in that there are things to admire in a well-written hero regardless of whether you can see yourself in it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's true. But having had the experience at a couple of points and way later in life than really should have happened of feeling like I truly properly saw my experience reflected back to me and a piece of what was intended to be mainstream entertainment. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to shortchange the power of that and the importance of that. And again, I kind of get hung up with, on the fact that I didn't start feeling like I saw myself like really properly until the latter half of my thirties. And that's kind of messed up. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on both sides of that. Like, she's not wrong, but, like, that's the fact that anyone can find something to admire in a well-written character, especially a well-written hero, isn't a reason to not diversify. Not that I think she's making that argument, but I feel it's, it's worth, you're right, it's worth bringing that up. Um, and then her second um, comment is a, a bit about more about the bullying and clarification for that. Um, so yeah, that is um, what Liz Ann Oswald wrote. Thanks for um, commenting, Liz. Thank you, as always. Next up, we had a comment from Tim Price. I'm more than a little interested in this one. I had plenty of problems with bullies growing up, so I can't help but sympathize. you think I would avoid revisiting that for fear of triggering, but instead it gives me a protagonist I want to root for. So it's definitely going on the list. Dang it, I'm going to plug Cleopatra in space again. <laughs> but I can't help it. The second season of the animated series just came out on Peacock, NBC's streaming service. Oh, for God's sake, there's too many streaming services. <laughs> this really uh, bothers you, doesn't it? It really does. There are a lot of them right now. It's kind of... It's driving it's, me It's a little nuts. frustrating. You uh, can never get what you want anymore. No. Mm-hmm. Still a fun show, and most importantly, Cleo gets her pet otter. Yes! I support that. And hey, if you want a guest host when you get around to covering Cleo in space, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yep, subtle as a brick to the head, that's me. (laughs) Thanks for covering this one, my punchers. And if you want a guest when you cover Cleopatra in space. (laughs) Tim is very determined. We are, we should actually do it. I feel like 
We've had Cleopatra in space comic books. I feel like they might have gotten lost or never returned, but I can look oh, into the, getting new Oh, at the library, one. you mean? Yeah, I know we've had them, and I've... It's... it's I've never actually read them because they are frequently out. Pretty much any graphic novel that's fairly popular, I don't see much <laughs> in yeah. my library. They're I, just perpetually out. I mean, I can get copies. It's Okay. All right. Finally, we have from Brian Linton... Thank you for the introduction to this book. It sounds like an uncomfortable but good read, which can make for a healthy, empathy-expanding experience. Though it sounds like this one is best taken in small doses. Liz, you mentioned that you used this graphic novel uh, in a class you taught on representation. I'd be interested to learn what other authors or books you covered in the class, unless you're planning to cover them in later episodes. I wouldn't want you to have to spoil anything. <laughs> Brian, it's cute that you think we planned that far in advance. No, we did not. Um, so we've actually covered several of them. Let me pull this out. My computer fell asleep and I made a list, um, you know, perpetually planning. Um, so a couple that I'm realizing I could have used, I'll mention those first, but didn't. Um, I think we could have used to dance for it, but I think the copy I have is checked out or something. So mm. that would have fallen under like um, Latina authors. Um, we could have used Persepolis, but again, it slants a little old. Like, I wouldn't yeah. hand that off to my fifth or sixth graders. So that, I think, that one's a little heavy. And I think, I don't think we actually have a copy in the library. I think the copy that we borrowed was from a classroom. So I think that's another re reason we didn't use Persepolis. But up for grabs, and most of these did get circulated, were Shuri, The Search for Black Panther, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Lumberjeans, Miss Marvel, No Normal, El Defo, and Nimona. And I did have a student that did an author study on um, Noel Stevenson. I had like a brief brain <laughs> blip there. Um, Welcome back. Yes, thank you. Um, so they read Lumberjanes and Nimona. Um, and again, she was classified under LGBTQ plus authors. And then I also had another student who was basically doing, like, the black Marvel superheroes. So we got some, we, he did Shuri, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and also um, the Jason Reynolds novelization of, about Miles Morales. Um, so those were some of them. I would say the most popular one that we had several copies of and the kids really liked was El Defo, especially among my fifth and sixth graders. Um, and then there was also a lot of really great, um, like, picture books we used and, um, like, novels and things like that. Um, so for that, let me see what some of the most popular authors are. I have lots of notes today. Yeah, you do. I know, right? Not on the book we read, but on this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll let you take notes and look up things on the book we read. Um, Kwame Alexander was pretty popular. Um, let's see, who else? Jacqueline Woodson. Um... For authors, we have a lot by Joseph Bruchak in terms of Native American authors. Um, oh, 
So I have an eighth grader who is absolutely like loves, loves, loves Kelly Yang, who wrote um, Front Desk and I believe it's Three Keys is her other one. Didn't so someone did an author study of that of of her and her books. Um, and then let me see. Alex Gino, someone did an author study of them, who wrote George and Rick. Um, and I'm just seeing, like, I have a massive list. I'm seeing what else was really popular. Um, yeah, so those were the main ones um, that people studied. And again, they got to choose from a list and what group um, they were studying, so it was a little more open. There wasn't a lot of, like, required reading, per se. It was more discussion-based. Um, we did also talk about ghosts, but not in a good way. <laughs> because yeah. um, there's uh, it, it was basically following up on the critiques I had of it, um, of Raina Telgemeier, which um, I think it was interesting, especially among my seventh graders, um, because some of them were going to defend her and everything she writes, and some of them were like, nah, no, these, this criticism is right. Like, mm -hmm. this is very valid. She shouldn't have written this. And there was another fifth grader that was very, like, strongly like, yeah, maybe she shouldn't have written this. Like, she didn't know what she was doing. So um, it was a really interesting class, um, and, yeah, a lot of fun teaching it. Um, so that's that. Okay. I think we'll wrap up this one there. So next time, it's our 50th episode. Oh, is that, I forgot the reasoning behind us doing it. So, oh, my God. So what we're doing next time, we are not, in fact, reviewing a new piece. What instead is that each of us on our own are going to look over the 49 things that we have covered so far, and we are each going to come up with a top and bottom five, and we will share and compare those next time. We're turning 50. Yep. <laughs> in a way. Yep, it's true. Uh, in 2020. <laughs> it feels, yeah. That's... Well, no, it'll be 2021 by the time that... Technically, okay. By the time that comes out. Uh... All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in a month. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.